If you have a financial question for Pega Bruce, you can call this number 24-7. That's 1-888-6ADVICE. You can also email your questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. But right now during the show, you can call or text our studio line, 651-461-9226. Now with a special guest today. Here is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, financial advisor, Bruce Helmer. Hi, Bruce. I don't see Peg. No, thank you, Denny Long, for the intro, uh, for the introduction, folks. That's Denny Long, my friend of 26 years now. Denny, we've been doing this, um, and we are very fortunate to have a guest with us. So, Denny, um, and, and some of the listeners that are regular regular listeners know that we do this about at once a quarter or so. We like to check in with somebody from our investment management team to talk a little bit about what we foresee happening in the markets, what just happened, why it happened. And so this morning, or today, we're very fortunate to have Randy Godsell with us. Randy is a a senior vice president and chief investment strategist at Wealth Enhancement Group. He's been doing this for decades for a variety of different uh, organizations and clients, and he's been running portfolios for a long, long time. Randy, you and I have never had the opportunity to meet face-to-face, and and it's not completely surprising with COVID and with the rapid growth of Wealth Enhancement Group, and we're adding folks all the time. There's a lot of people now that I've never had a chance to meet face-to-face. So despite that, thanks for uh, coming on the program with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Bruce. And uh, yeah, it's uh, not that uncommon today to work with uh, somebody day to day and never have met them in person. So uh, great, uh, great to get a chance on the show and talk with you. Yeah, we still have a lot of folks working remote, and uh, and and there's another surge of the new variant, so it's probably going to continue to. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. We, you know, I do have face-to-face meetings with some clients if they're comfortable and they really want to. But I still have a lot of Zoom meetings, a lot of Skype meetings, a lot of phone meetings, and uh, and that may be, you know, that may be the future. Maybe we'll continue doing that even after uh, the, the, the COVID threat has diminished a little bit. Hey, Randy, you know, the, the elephant in the room here, everybody listening knows that we had a tough first half of the year. Um, they've seen their 401k balances go down. They've, they've, they know the market is down. Um, and I think part of what has made it so challenging, I, I always tell people, and I've said on this show, I'm not surprised when the market retracts. I'm surprised that people seem surprised when the market retracts. We know it's going to retract. We don't know exactly when. We don't know exactly how low it will go. We don't know exactly how long it will last. But we would be surprised if we did not have these retractions from time to time. So we expect them, and we're not surprised when they happen. But this, this year has been particularly tough, I think, because, again, our listeners are pretty smart, and they understand that normally there's a converse relationship with stocks and bonds, that if stocks do poorly, bonds can be a safe harbor and perform well, and vice versa. If, if, if bonds are, are doing well, then, or if, if, if bonds are doing poorly, then stocks do well. This year has been an anomaly in that both stocks and bonds are firmly in negative territory. So if you would, talk a little bit about what happened the first half of the year, why we think this happened, and then people people always want you to look in your crystal ball, Randy, and tell them what's going to happen this week or next month or the rest of the year. So let's talk a little bit about where we've been and where you think we're going and why you think we're going there. 
Well, you start out with the easy questions here, Bruce. Hey? Well, what does the future hold? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I think you, your comments are right on. And I think what really has caught uh, some investors by surprise, and like you said, markets go up and down, and we just know it's human nature. You know, the, the news is always bad when markets are going down, and it just gets easy to let that get in your head and and start to think this is going to be the time where it's going to go down and never come back. So, so I think that's why we continue to see markets go down over and over. And as you know, uh, Bruce, this behavior is not unusual at all. And we see it virtually every year, but still it, it plays games with the mind of an investor uh, each and every time. Um, in terms of the market, though, what you know, as you said, stocks and bonds usually have been good complements to each other. When stocks were up, bonds were down, and vice versa. Generally speaking, with a few brief interruptions, but the the one environment where uh, that that relationship doesn't generally hold is an inflationary environment, uh, because inflation starts the pressure, or at least the market anticipates pressure on corporate earnings. At the same time that the same inflation is putting upward pressure on interest rates and therefore downward pressure on bond prices. So it's a bit of an unusual environment, this stagflationary environment that, that, that they call it, where you have a sort of a stagnating economy with rising inflation. That is the reason and the one condition where you see stocks and bonds go down uh, at the same time. And, and that's exactly what we have seen. You mentioned a, 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 st- a stagnation in the economy. That's a fairly recent turn of events. For a long time here, we were looking quarter over quarter of good GDP. In fact, it's one of the things I pointed to when clients asked me what I thought was going to happen. And again, we never know for sure. I was joking about the crystal ball. I don't have one. Randy doesn't have one. Nobody has one. But I was pointing at GDP and low unemployment and some other factors, uh, uh, you know, the pent-up demand by consumers as reasons for optimism. But, of course, you know, I know you're going to talk about some of the headwinds that we've faced. And, of course, the big wild card on February 24th when Russia invades, you know, the Ukraine. These are all factors that, you know, have, have contributed to where we are. But uh, the, 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 the slowdown of the economic growth has got people now muttering the word you're never supposed to say, that we might be headed for the big R word or recession. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about that. And you can see, uh, you know, economists, if you look at surveys of top economists from the bigger firms, you can see their probabilities of recessions continue to grow uh, uh, grow. And, it's, you know, if you look at the average, it's around 35 to 40% now probability of recession which may not sound like a big number, but if you look historically, um, you know, it's generally been in that 10 to 20 percent range. And as recently as last year, it was very, very, very low. So you can see at least the economists are recognizing some of the pressures that you had mentioned, uh, Bruce. But uh, one thing I just wanted to clarify, uh, you you made an interesting comment, too, and and an astute one, that the economy really, I, I said it's stagnating. It's starting to slow, but it's still slowing off a fairly strong level. And if you look at things like employment that you uh, had mentioned, corporate earnings, the economy really hasn't slowed a whole lot. It's just uh, when you look at a traditional business cycle, and and, and by that I mean one where you maybe come off a trough or a recession, the economy continues to get better, it peaks and slowly comes down the other end, and then you hit another recession and start to cycle all over again, which is – 
you know, we've been in a really long up cycle here, but generally that time range has been about five to eight years where you go from the, the front end to the back end of the cycle. But uh, what, what typically happens in, in a more normal cycle like that is you start to see things like housing is you, often the, the first thing to go. And we saw that with rising interest rates, you know, rates, mortgage rates rose very, very quickly. You started to see housing uh, come under some pressure. Then uh, what you see is, is new orders. And there's a survey out called uh, uh, Purchasing Managers Index, which I, I think you probably talked about on this show before. And it's a survey of purchasing managers uh, in the business world. And the idea of interviewing purchasing managers is they sort of have a look ahead of what's going on, how are orders looking, how is hiring looking, how are prices looking. So uh, that purchasing managers index, uh, usually after housing, you start to see that new orders part of that index start to turn down a little bit. And then the third part of the cycle is is corporate earnings start to turn down. Now, we're in earnings season right now for corporations. The companies are starting to announce their earnings, and we've seen those start to come under a little pressure. They haven't been terrible, but but certainly compared to the last few years, they, they're starting to come down. And then the last part of that cycle is employment. And as you mentioned, Bruce, employment's been very, very strong, actually near record high numbers. But in a traditional cycle, that usually is the last thing to come under pressure. So I, I just wanted to clarify uh, that because I think it's been so long, really, since investors have seen a normal business cycle because we've had interruptions like the great financial crisis and COVID that it's almost become uh, hard to recognize. But these are uh, very, very typical things in the cycle. And if this continues as, as a normal cycle, we would expect some of those things like, uh, uh, you know, employment and corporate earnings to come under pressure, you know, in the, uh, the quarters ahead. You know, one of, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on, Randy, your expertise overall, but um, our, our clients at Wealth Enhancement Group know that within our newsletters, we always talk about seven market movers. Our listeners might not be privy to that, but our clients know exactly what we're talking about when we talk about market movers. And that's kind of where we're segueing to today. Um, you'll talk about these, these market movers that your team looks at. But before we get to all of those, I wanted to mention, um, I did some research um, during the week last week, and I read something, Randy, that the, the, the negative 20% return on the S&P for the first six months of the year, that's the fifth time since 1929 that that has happened. But the four other previous times, then if you look at the following, say, one year, three years, five years after that retraction, the returns have been very robust. So I look at that historical precedent, not that that guarantees anything, but that, that gives me confidence and optimism. And then also, even if we look at returns that we've just gone through, even with this retraction that we've had this year, if you go back and look at three-year returns, and again, it's going to vary a little bit depending upon which index you're looking at, but even with this retraction, your annualized return over the last three years is probably in the neighborhood of 6%. Five years, it's getting closer to 7%. Ten years, it's you know well over 8%. 
So even with this retraction, which we know happened from time to time, the long-term returns on your portfolio, and investors know this if they've been in their 401k for a decade or 15 or 20 years, they know they didn't just they didn't lose money the last six months. They've only lost some of what they've earned in the previous several good years. So don't panic, I guess, is one of the keys. Yeah, no, I I think that's a great point. And, you know, even if like some of the things I talked about with you, the, the cycle and where things could go and employment and uh, earnings potentially coming under pressure, you know, I, I really wanted to make that point, And I'm glad you beat me to it, Bruce, because I, I think the thing investors have to remember, and it, it's so easy to forget, is when you look at something like the stock market. It, it, you know, you can trade stocks every second of every day. There's millions and millions of shares traded. So, so investments like stocks, they, they tend to reflect the average of everyone's expectations at any given point in, in time because investors can price in what they think is going to happen in the future. So the, the biggest thing when you're looking at what are my forward returns, you know, re, without regard to what's going to happen to the economy or earnings, it's it's not so much what happens, it's what happens relative to what has been priced in and advanced by investors. So I, I think your point's a good one, and, and, and that there's a great example where if you look at the market off 20% declines in either the shorter term or longer term, investors have often had very, very strong returns off current levels. And it's for that reason I had just talked about is that investors start to get down, they start to price in gloom, and the bar becomes so low that it becomes easy to jump. So uh, I want to make that point clear. Even if things do play out, this is a cycle and things are about to decline more before they get better, that does not mean that it's not a good time to, to invest. And in fact, it, you know, it's been pretty consistent that the uh, the market has actually uh, started to do well around six months on average before the economy has recovered. So if you're waiting for an all clear to see everything get better, you're probably going to be too late and miss out on some of those really good returns that uh, that you know that that Bruce had just described for investors who are willing to stick it out or to put money in as the market was was declining to current levels. And then uh, one other point, Bruce, that I can make before we get into the seven market movers is, uh, and it's sort of tied to that, is traditional, uh, a lot of investors just invested in traditional stocks and bonds. And as we talked about earlier, stocks and bonds have both really declined simultaneously in this inflationary environment that we've had. But a true, what I'll call all-weather uh, diversified portfolio may have some allocations to things that aren't just tied to the stock and bond markets. And I know uh, um, at least uh, some of our clients have uh, added that type of diversification into their portfolio. And if you look at some of those things like an inflation protection uh, um, component of a portfolio or uh, an alternative or low correlation part of the portfolio, depending on, on what you did and how you built that, you know, those things are actually up high single-digit, low single-digit type returns. So even though the markets are down, stocks and bonds are down, there is still opportunities out there in the markets where investors can have some things that, that um, can perform no matter what the conditions are. Randy, what are examples of some of those things, some of those inflation-protected uh, things that you just mentioned that have positive returns? Yeah, um, great question. So, 
there, there's a lot of different things you can do or you might see advocated for inflation. But, you know, one of the things that tends to react most immediate, immediately and reliably to inflation would be commodities type investments and commodities. That's a pretty general term. It comes in different forms, but uh, you know, things like energy and agriculture and metals. Um, so that's been a fairly reliable um, uh, performer in uh, not always, but a fairly reliable performer in an inflationary environment. There's other things out there certainly to that investors uh, like to invest in like uh, tips, which are treasury inflation protected securities or government bonds tied to inflation. And uh, those, they've done better better than regular treasury bonds. But they actually have negative returns on the year. So those, uh, you know, you just look at the name sometimes investors think, oh, well, if there's inflation, this will do well. Well, I think that's true if you are comparing it to traditional treasuries, but those are actually down slightly this year. But for a longer-term portfolio to have a slice of these treasury inflation-protected bonds in your fixed-income portfolio probably not a bad idea to consider either. Yeah, and Peg is uh, my usual co-host, has started her career in the bond world, and she's been talking about that a lot in in recent shows. Um, All right, Randy, we're never going to get through all seven in the first half of the show. We've only got about four minutes left. It goes fast. Um, But let's let's start to cover the seven market movers you and your team are looking at. We'll finish that in the second half of the show, and in the second half of the show, Denny Long will help us get our listeners involved. But let's cover as many as we can here in the next uh, three or four minutes. Okay, um, I'll start with uh, global economic growth. And, and, and some of this, too, we've sort of tied the conversation into our, our, our introduction here. But uh, global economic growth, we talked about it. It is slowing. Um, if you look at forecasts, recession probabilities uh, based on economist forecasts are starting to increase. You know, certainly, we have inflation. Uh, geopolitical tensions with the situation with Russia and Ukraine and some of the uh, byproducts of that, China and its uh, um, COVID, zero COVID policy, those have all started to put pressure on uh, economic growth. So we've started to see the numbers come down just a little bit, but they haven't come down uh, significantly yet. But as we talked about with the cycle, if this does turn out to be a traditional cycle, which is sort of lining up to be, we would expect those numbers to start to to deteriorate a little bit slowly as the the year progresses. Um, uh, We can't. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Bruce. Go ahead. Well, I I thought you finished your thought on global growth. I was going to say we can't talk about market movers and not talk about interest rates. Yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah, and that's that's where I was going to go. So uh, I'm a first time guest here, so I wasn't sure how this works. So sorry for the interruption, but uh, no, 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 and and we're not looking at each other. If we were face to face, there'd be (laughs) nonverbal communication and nods and smiles and finger pointing, but we can't see each other, so that'll happen from time to time, Randy. No worries. You you, you can't kick me under the table when we're uh, doing this. uh, uh, (laughs) No. So, uh, yeah, interest, that one is uh, is really an interesting one, uh, no pun intended. And interest rates are really what drives the price of virtually all assets. When investors are making decisions, they are comparing what can I get on a, a safe bond or a CD or at the bank, for example, to what could I get in stocks or more risky bonds or other investments. 
So interest rates are a very important determinant of uh, investment returns across the board. So interest rates, we know that the Fed has raised interest rates uh, very, very aggressively. And next week, we expect at least another 75 basis point increase in the Fed funds or the short-term interest rate. And, um, you know, there's some that even think they may go uh, 100 basis points or a full percent. But I think the expectation on that is fading. And and I think 75 is probably the most likely outcome. Uh, So the rates have come up very, very aggressively. And we have not seen this in a very long time, a Fed this aggressive. And generally, when the Fed has been aggressive, uh, a recession has ensued back post-World War II, there's been 13 times, and 10 of those times a recession did follow. And of the three times when the Fed raised rates and a a recession didn't follow, none of them had a higher inflationary environment like we did uh, today. So when I talk about that traditional business cycle, you know, these are some of the reasons we think this is lining up to be a more traditional cycle. Now, Randy, I'm going to stop you there. We will uh, we will finish this discussion and get the listeners involved in the second half of the show. Danny? Yes, indeed. Thank you, Bruce. We'll get back to Bruce and Randy uh, in just a couple of moments. In the meantime, don't forget you can call or text our studio line uh, anytime, 651-461-9226. Also, if you think of a financial question, let's say midweek, in fact, 24-7, 1-888-6-ADVICE is the number. Otherwise, call or text now, 651-461-9226. Back in a moment with more of your money. If you have a financial question, you can call this number 24-7, advice You can also email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. But during the show, in fact, right now, you can call or text our studio line at 651 651- Four six one nine two two six again six five one four six one nine two two six and once again here is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group financial advisor Bruce Helmer with his special guest Bruce. Thank you, Denny Long. And yes, if you've uh, been with us uh, from the beginning, uh, thank you for sticking with us. If you're just joining us, Randy Godsell is with us. Randy's a Senior Vice President and Chief Investment Strategist at Wealth Enhancement Group. I mentioned he's been in the industry doing this for a really long time. What I did not mention, Randy, when I introduced you the first time that I should have You have the designation of Chartered Financial Analyst, and anyone that knows our industry, and I don't expect our listeners to know this, that's a really tough get. That is a designation that I wouldn't be able to achieve in my wildest dreams. That's a really smart person that gets the CFA. Randy's also a certified financial planner and a CPA. So really solid, really good designations. This is a smart guy we got on with us uh, today, folks. So uh, I want to listen to him as much as I can. Randy, uh, you're kind enough to join us, and and we're talking about where the market has been. Obviously, it's been a tough year. And where we think it's going, I say think it's going because nobody knows for sure. And specifically, you and your team, there's seven market movers that, that you look at to try to ascertain what you think might happen. Um, we talked about global economic growth, and we talked about interest rates, although I'm not sure if you finished all your thoughts on interest rates. And let's go over the rest of the market movers that, that you're looking at and what you think is going uh, to happen. And then before we're done here today, if we can, Denny will help us get some listeners involved either with uh, questions on air and or 
text messages. So, Randy, uh, you're the star today. Uh, educate me and all of our listeners. Yeah, uh, thanks, Bruce. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to make a couple more quick points on interest rates that I really think will help the, the listeners um, because there seems to be some confusion, at least among some investors on this. So, so one thing I just wanted to say is, when the you know investors look at the Fed raising interest rates, and I just mentioned they're likely to raise another 75 basis points here, and probably will continue to raise rates throughout the year, as they look at this and say, well, you know, Bruce said at the beginning that bonds move inversely with interest rates, so why would I invest in bonds if I know that the Fed's going to raise interest rates? And the point I wanted to make there is the Fed is controlling short-term interest rates, not longer-term rates, so. When we know that the Fed is going to raise interest rates, that gets priced in the bond markets. So to my earlier comment, it's not about what they do. It's what they do compared to what is expected. So if the Fed said, oh, no, it's not 75 basis points uh, next uh, this week, it's uh, 300, that certainly would be a negative surprise in effect bonds. But uh, what it, they've been very good over the years, really, since the Ben Bernanke years for the last couple of decades, about telegraphing what they're going to do. Versus for our older listeners that maybe uh, remember the Greenspan or Paul Volcker years where they would just show up and raise rates and nobody would know what to expect. They didn't even know they were meeting or talking about it. So it's a very different world today, and these things tend to get priced in. And then the other thing, when I said the Fed controls shorter-term interest rates, shorter-term interest rates influence long-term interest rates, but they operate differently. So when the the world starts to think, okay, the probability of recession is, is coming, uh, um, you know, like we had talked about where the, the economist projections are arising for, for recession, the probability of recession, as that happens, investors look at this and say, well, the Fed may be raising rates today, but a year from now, two years from now, they're going to have to reverse course if truly a recession comes. So what you see then is longer-term rates come down even as shorter-term rates are rising and it's important for investors to remember, because if you just look at it and say, bonds, I don't want to touch those things because the Fed's raising interest rates, you could be missing out on a potential opportunity at the, with longer-term bonds. And that diversification that we talked about that generally works, Bruce, where we said, you know, most of the time stocks and bonds work as good diversifiers. They complement each other. If we do start to see the economy slow and recession uh, um, start to unfold, that relationship will probably come back in place like we've, we've become accustomed to over the years. So I just wanted to make that point because I, I, I hear that comment a lot from investors as the Fed's going to raise rates. I need to stay away from bonds. We don't think that's necessarily the, the right way to look at it. Um, well, I think that's a great I think that's a great point, Randy. I just before you go on to the next uh, uh, item on your list. Really quickly, uh, and I'm sorry, I know I, I said I would talk less and listen to you more, but to, to the to the people that are kind of freaking out about these rising interest rates, and some of this maybe is driven by how old people are in their life experiences, but if you look at interest rates historically, they've been really low for a really long time, and Peg and I have both talked on this show, and it bears repeating, my first mortgage for my first house in 1991 I got 9%, and I thought I died and went to heaven, and that was a great deal. So even with these rising, you know, rapidly rising interest rates, historically speaking, we're, no, we're nowhere near as high as they can be and have been. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and you're right. A lot of it depends on when we grew up and our perspective. But that period in the you know late 60s, 70s, that was very much the exception, the aberration. Rates more in the area where we have them today is much more the norm than those high rates that you experience with your first mortgage. What's the next? What's the next market mover, Randy? That you want to talk about? Okay. Well, um, why don't we, we talk about uh, style or factor uh, performance? And for um, you know our, our listeners, maybe who aren't familiar with the terminology, uh, a factor is simply a characteristic of an investment. So, you know, we we know what stocks are, but there's different types of stocks. Like there's value stocks, there's uh, momentum strategies, there's um, you know dividend paying stocks. So each of those characteristics is also called a factor. And um, they, these are, are important. And this is why we diversify, because when you just say stocks are down, all stocks aren't down. It is certain factors that are down. So, for example, energy stocks have done quite well this year, even though the stock market's down. So they are exposed to what's called the value factor. So, so far this year, um, What's worked the best are, are, are value stocks, as I just mentioned, energy being example, and low volatility uh, uh, stocks. And those would tend to be things like healthcare or consumer staples, you know, the, the things you buy for everyday use and consumption. And uh, those are things that's exactly how you would expect in a normal business cycle this to work is those more predictable stocks, the ones selling things that are, are more necessities and consumables and value stocks like energy, those are exactly the things that you would expect to perform in this type of environment. And then just to incorporate a little, uh, you know, go forward uh, um, uh, ideas uh, here, uh, Bruce, since you asked about that early on, is a factor if we continue to have this environment where, you know, stocks are cheaper, as you mentioned, with the downturn, but, you know, there's some risk of inflation out there that, you know, we don't know how long this will continue and potentially the economy slowing. A quality factor is one that that typically is sort of a good balance between playing offense and defense in this environment. And by quality, I'm talking about companies like, um, you know, that, that have really strong balance sheets with a lot of cash on the balance sheet so they can weather a, a storm. Companies with less debt, they're not very highly um, indebted companies that are reliant on refinancing at higher interest rates. So those quality type companies tend to, um, to, to work well, uh, relatively well in this type of environment. And the other thing, too, just with inflation, you had asked about what works in an inflationary environment. And, you know, we often hear stocks are, are great inflation hedges. And I think that's true over the long term uh, with the right types of companies. And often it's these quality companies that are the right types of companies you want to hold in an inflationary environment because of the strong balance sheets that we talked about. They're producing products that investors like and the consumers like and they want they have the better ability to raise prices into inflation. They have the better uh, ability to, to weather some unpredictable costs and rising wages and things. So they often come out, they, they do okay in these inflationary environments, but then come out the back end stronger as they're maybe more, more uh, indebted and, and less quality um, you know, competitors uh, are out of their way when, when the market or the economy recovers. So I just wanted to throw that out there as a, a potential idea or thought for investors as they're positioning their portfolio. Um, I can move on to geographic expectations if you'd like, Bruce. Sure. 
Yeah, so um, I think uh, most investors are aware, uh, you know, international stocks have underperformed U.S. stocks um, really by quite a, a wide margin here for the better part of a decade with a few brief interruptions. Uh, you know, if you look back historically, leadership between international and U.S. stocks has, has traded off, and usually it's been fairly extended periods of time where one would do better than the other. But really, the last extended period of international outperformance was the early 2000s. And since the great financial crisis, for the most part, it's been all about the U.S. And I, I will say, you know, investors look at this again and say, look, you know, things aren't great here maybe in, in the U.S. right now, uh, economically and, and otherwise. But if you look at foreign countries like Europe, they're in an even worse shape. So, you know, they may look at that and say, I, I don't want to touch, you know, Europe or, or other parts of the world, emerging markets. But again, if you look at valuations, uh, those stocks are much cheaper than U.S. stocks currently. So when I talked about um, investors pricing in expectations and then sort of setting the bar that needs to be jumped in order to be successful, very low expectations have been built in to many of these international stock markets. So it's not going to take a lot of great news for those to turn out to be good performers going forward. And even longer term, um, you know, if you look at things like demographics in some of the emerging uh, countries and the fact that the dollar's just been on a tear compared to uh, most foreign currencies right now, uh, because international investments are priced in foreign currency, if we see that trend reverse, which at some point I, I think is, is probably likely that these international stocks could be the performers of tomorrow, even though they haven't been in the past decade. So our advice here is do not give up on uh, international markets if that is part of your strategy, part of your allocation. And in fact, if you're looking to, to rebalance or put money to work, that may not be a bad place to, to consider doing it. We've uh, mentioned it a couple times and kind of danced around it. You want to dive a little deeper into inflation? Yeah, so uh, we talked about it and inflation, um, and I, I talked about interest rates as a, a you know big driver of what happens and what works in the investment world. Well, inflation actually comes before interest rates because what happens with inflation will drive interest rates, which will drive prices of all investments. So uh, one of the things I'll just mention, but since we've talked about it a lot that, that we haven't talked about yet, is inflation's high. We all know it. We all know the story about the Fed saying inflation is going to be transitory, and it turned out not to be the case. We keep hearing every month that we think peak inflation is here, and then there's one more month that goes higher, and we you know, hear again that, okay, this is the month, and now it's going to roll over. But um, I think a couple points I want to make here is – Inflation probably will start to come down, and again, we don't know, but there's a couple of reasons we think this is pretty likely. And one of those is that if you look at inflation, it's really broken out into two different categories. Uh, one will be, they call it the headline inflation, which includes all items, and then there's something called core inflation, which strips out the food and energy part of the inflation equation. And the thought is just because food and energy prices are so volatile that if you look at the core, you can get a better sense of the of the trend. But both of those have been up. Uh, we know commodities prices. We've been to the grocery store, the gas station. We know those prices have, have run up quite a bit. But it's really been a broad-based inflation that we've seen. 
But now we've seen as the economy slowed or there's anticipation of the economy slowing, we've seen uh, energy prices come down quite a bit. If you've been at the gas station, you've, you've seen the, the, the reflection of that there, which has been some welcome relief for many. Uh, but what happens is the more and more money consumers need to spend on things like food and energy, the less they have for other things, the core things that we talked about. So it's for that reason we think we're going to start to see inflation start to come down here before too long. Now, we're not saying it's going to go back to where it was, 1% or 2%, but could we get back into the lower mid-single digits over the course of the next year? We think that's probably the, the most likely outcome. And then uh, one other comment I'll make here, Bruce, on inflation is um, inflation expectations are something the Fed looks at closely, not just what inflation is or what's being published in CPI. And the reason they, they look at that closely is inflation's really, it can be looked at as a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways. If you think prices are going to go up, you start to behave as if, as if prices are going to go up. You may ask your employer for a bigger raise. If you don't, you may start to look elsewhere where they will. You may start to buy things now because you're worried that the prices are going to go up later. And that type of behavior can actually drive inflation, which then Consumers look at it and go, oh, look, inflation's higher. This is reinforcing my belief and continue to drive it higher. So the Fed's really sensitive to inflation expectations, and they watch it closely and, and because they don't want this mentality to set in, this psyche that inflation is embedded or baked into the economy. And the good news here is inflation expectations, which can be measured uh, or viewed, have come down uh, um, meaningfully in recent months. So you can see investors are starting to believe and consumers are starting to believe inflation's coming down, which is really good news because that would allow the Fed to be less aggressive than I think a lot of investors are thinking right now and probably be a good signal for the stock and bond markets. The sixth market mover you have on your list is alternatives. We've already talked about that a little bit. Do you want to go a little deeper there? Yeah, so um, alternatives, the, the way we define that are investments that are not highly correlated to the stock and bond markets or the factors that drive the stock and bond markets, like interest rates would be an example. So um, alternatives, um, it, it's not that they, they, I mean, they come in many different flavors, but it's not that there's not risk there. It's just that the risk is not tied to the same things that drive the stock and bond markets. So by having some sort of allocation to alternatives, uh, if, if it makes sense for a client situation, it, it gives you some diversification. And as I mentioned, this environment we've been in recently has been a good uh, example of that, where a lot of these alternatives have done very, very well and even had you know high single-digit or low double-digit returns while the market was uh, declining. So if you had some sort of allocation to that as an investor, it certainly helped to support or minimize some of the downside that many investors have experienced. So if you're just kind of looking at this going, I, you know, I want to be invested and just worried about being all in stocks and bonds, um, you know, alternatives may be a place to consider uh, putting some money if you haven't done that or haven't made that part of your allocation already uh, as an investor. And then um, as long as we're, we're uh, there, Bruce, maybe I could just uh, hit on taxes, which was our seventh market mover right away. Um, you know, uh, the Biden administration proposed the Build Back Better uh, legislation, which was going to raise uh, corporate and 
um, and individual income taxes uh, on high-income uh, taxpayers uh, fairly significantly. Uh, as time has gone on, that, you know, as we all know, didn't pass as was anticipated. There's been some negotiations to maybe have a more watered-down version of that. The last one that's been talked about most recently, they call it uh, uh, BBB Light, uh, Build Back Better Light. And the thought was maybe it started out in the $3 trillion range. Maybe we could do something in the $500 billion range and raise taxes a little bit on corporations and, and fund some of these uh, um, initiatives that the administration was hoping to fund. But as of uh, you know, last week, it looks like even those uh, that slimmed down package isn't likely uh, to pass. And with the elections coming up and, um, you know, congressional, uh, you know, uh, recess coming up in August, it seems unlikely that taxes are going to be in, in any way uh, changed here, at least in the near term. You know, I wish we had more time because I personally have several questions I would have loved to have asked you. And I know that the that listeners do as well, but we're down to less than two minutes. Um, I guess my last question, Randy, maybe parting thoughts. So well, all, all these market movers, all these things that, that you just talked about, what, is, what are the key takeaways for our listeners? Uh, I, I sense uh, some cautious optimism on your part, but what, what should investors do? What should listeners do? What are the key takeaways? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I, I think the, the big questions out there are certainly things we touched on, you know, inflation fears. Um, is there a recession on the on the horizon? And I talked about probabilities, but I, I want to make the comment too that there, a recession isn't doesn't appear to be here anyway right now. Uh, we won't know until we look in the rearview mirror. But there is a chance that the Fed does thread the needle. They they get just the right interest rates at the right time. They help us to slow the economy, slow inflation without putting us in recession. So I don't want to dismiss that as a possibility. Corporate earnings, I mentioned, the typical cycle, we'd start to see those fade. But, um, you know, they've been holding up, I think, better than expected so far this quarter. And all of this is tied, is tied. the inflation talk, is how far does the Fed need to, need to go. And, uh, you know, that, that's a big unknown here. But I think a key for investors here uh, to, to, to think about is, you know, uh, these traditional business cycles that I talked about, because of the great financial crisis, because of covid and because of the, the length of this last growth cycle, it's been so long, really almost 20 years, I think, since we experienced this cycle that, that um, we didn't recognize it. So it's a very, very common to experience what we're experiencing. So I, I just think investors really need to think of this as balancing offense and defense, take advantage of this potential opportunity, but do it in a, in a cautious and sensible way. Randy, thank you so much. Denny, I know we're out of time. We are, and hope you join us again next week. Any uh, financial questions you might have during the week, you can call, in fact, 24-7, 1-888-6-ADVICE. Or you can also email your questions to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. 